0: On today's episode of the Triple Double Podcast, we have a double header of guests. First, we chat with Nate Milton, host of the Kings of Sport Podcast. Then, we chat with Rayon Ali, author of NBA Jam, the book. Get in touch with the show through Facebook and Twitter. Leave us a review on iTunes and email us at triple double podcast at gmail.com. Enjoy the show. We are back with another episode of the Triple Double Podcast. I am Justin Goodrum, joined by Matt Thomas. What's up, man? What's
1: up, man? How are you doing? How's your weekend?
0: Good, man. Can't complain. Just uh, counting down the uh, days um, until we get the NBA back. Uh, Still got to wait a little bit more, but we get closer and closer. Not too much to wait until we actually see um, some real-life basketball. Twelve days. We're
1: almost there. Lots of
0: reports coming
1: in from hashtag bubble life, (laughs) the NBA bubble this week. I mean, lots of various podcasts had reporters on stuff like that so we are we are getting close i'm getting excited
0: yeah me too and uh, today we have a pretty pat show two guests set for you um first we have rayon ali he is the author of the nba jam the book um a very fun conversation um just about really the history of uh, video games in particularly the history of nba jam so if you loved that game growing up uh this interview is right up your alley. And then I had the uh, pleasure of speaking to Nate Milton of the Kings of sport podcast. Um, you might catch him on post wrestling if you're a um, wrestling fan. Um, but he hosts a, um, a sports podcast with Marcus Vandenberg, just breaking down all sports topics. Uh, we had an interesting conversation discovering. um, The NBA, the WNBA, and lots more. So uh, two guests back-to-back for you, uh, for your listening pleasure. As always, you can catch the show on all your podcasting streaming platforms. Leave us a review on iTunes and get in touch with us um, through email, triple double podcast at gmail.com. So, man, we have some rapid-fire topics Um, We just want to kind of touch on and kind of discuss, so let's not waste any time. And let's start with this uh, Dwayne Wade, I guess, mini-controversy, and that has to do with Nick Cannon. Um, So Nick Cannon uh, recently in some hot water um, stating some anti semitic comments on his podcast. And basically got removed and fired from um, Viacom, um, his uh, broadcasting partner, um, for those comments. And Dwayne Wade uh, tweeted out support for Nick Cannon um, in terms of what he was going through. But apparently Dwayne Wade um, did not hear or read what Nick Cannon exactly said. He just tweeted out support. So um, basically Dwayne Wade uh, appeared in hot water um, because of this. Uh, appearing to agree with Nick Cannon's comments. And um, I think this is very similar to the James Harden situation. We can just talk about that both at the same time, where James Harden um, was photographed wearing a Blue Lives Matter mask um, entering the bubble. Of course, everybody associated with him supporting that movement. Um, James Harden stated the mask just looks cool. That's why he was wearing it, so he was in hot water as well. Um, Just asking you, Matt, do you think, you know— Cancel culture and social media has gotten out of control, or do you think um, the Twitter mob and I guess social media mob was rightly justified in really going after um, both of these uh, players because of their ignorance?
1: Uh, I do think cancel culture has gotten out of hand. I mean, I think we were talking about this three weeks ago. I want to say with with another controversy. Uh, another NBA star getting canceled or something along those lines. It's been happening so often, I think, with many of us in quarantine and just not a lot happening. I I think you see kind of more aggression online or more um, anger and outrage when these headlines come up uh, and people are are getting more and more vocal. I think, honestly, I I hope that that's true, that Dwayne Wade – uh, didn't didn't quite understand the the situation there, uh, and in in that case, you know, he he really should think twice or, or read into things a little bit more. Uh, but of course, I, I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt if if that is true that he he truly didn't know uh, what was going on or what Nick Cannon's comments were. You know, I mean, a lot of these celebrities have connections to each other. Miami was the toast of the league. Uh, you know, between like 2011 and 2015, so a lot of celebrity culture was down in Miami during those years. So it's not improbable that Dwayne Wade probably knows Nick Cannon fairly well through association and just wanted to support him as a friend. Um, along those same lines, I, you know, there there is this this conflict, especially on Twitter. Uh, between Blue Lives Matter and Black Lives Matter, and I, I personally feel that cancel culture has gone too far. I'd like to see us working towards unifying, and you know, I'm, I mean, um, I I don't think it's it's good to say that anyone's lives don't matter, and I just frankly don't believe that. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, there there is. A lot of division happening in getting outraged. Like, in my opinion, if even if James Harden knew what he was wearing, um, it's to me when I see that it doesn't directly go in counter of Black Lives Matter, but perhaps I am ignorant about that. And I know there are some people that. Uh, do act that way and do use it antagonistically. Um, I myself am, am not of the opinion that um, those two things can't go together. Um, but, you know, it's um, it's rough and I'm, I'm trying to be concise here because we have been forced to talk a lot about politics over the last couple of weeks. Um, so so I don't know that I'll dive too much more into my thoughts on that for the time being. But what are what are your feelings about this whole situation? I mean, is I mean, I'll shoot the same question back to you. Do you see the same thing as I do that cancel culture is getting a little out of hand, or um, do you think there was some anger that was
0: was really justified in these cases? So I think it has gotten out of control. However, there's rules fairly unfairly when you're a public figure. So, you know, whether it's you're a local, you know, anchor on your local news, or if you're an NBA player, um, retired or still active, you need to be aware. I mean, if you want to um, be on, you know, all these commercials and get the fame, you got to know the rules of the game. Like, you know, we saw this in kind of a weird story, I think it was last year, with um, Kawhi Leonard, you know, in the strip club, right? People were just videotaping. I mean, you got – you have to have eyes in the back of your head at all times. You have no privacy. It's over. Yeah. So when – unfortunately – and that's unfair. It sucks. Like I'm not saying that's right. So in both of these situations, I mean both of these guys have media teams. Well, what are you paying them for? I mean James Harden right. has an entourage. Like he, I'm sure it's hard for me to believe James Harden has bought that by himself.
2: I can't like, totally have
0: some some homie with him, some friends, some kind of um, advisor with him. And they didn't tell him, hey, do not wear this or are you sure? Like you use that's what you're paying your entourage for to <laughs> like, do, do your job. And with social media, it's so dangerous with Dwayne Wade. We hear it so often. And honestly, not to go on a tangent, but I hear it with some athletes so many times when they get criticized and. Um, kind of in the other direction they they're like oh well i got mad at this person and then they'll ask did you read the post or what they said no somebody told me secondhand like did did you read like and i think with dwayne wade like just read man like with your ignorance like i have no problem with somebody having an opinion and disagreeing with it what's stupid is you liking something and you're not investigating it further I mean, I have no sympathy for Dwayne Wade. That's based on your own ignorance. Like, if you agree with Nick Cannon, then, you know, I'm going to vehemently disagree with you. But at least that's your belief. And I think with Nick Cannon, very clearly, that's his belief. And his evidence uh, backs that up, Um, his opinion that he said on that podcast. And I think for Dwayne Wade, he should know better. So I have no sympathy. Um, and I think those consequences are reflected. So, yeah, I do. I I do think like the Twitter mob had a right to get mad at him. Absolutely. Because he should know better. I mean, he's not some rookie in the league. Um, he's actively on social media and with everything he has, what he's gone through with his family um, over this past year, he should be hyper vigilant. Um, so. I think we're on the same page, man. In terms of yes, cancel culture, people on Twitter, yeah, that's what. Especially now with coronavirus, um, they have yeah. nothing better to do than just you know patrol celebrities. However, you gotta know what you're getting into. And with these celebrities, they have publicists, they have writers, they have every they have teams. And for you to make this such a I think half-hazard mistake. You're going to pay the price fairly dearly for it. Now, in the long term, do I see them suffering long term consequences because of this? Probably not. People are going to forget it. They apologize. Whatever. Um, I think. Yeah. I think in the long run, it's not going to affect either one of them. Um, but no, this is this is a lesson I think to any public figure in any you know sport. You know, on Twitter, Facebook, what you like. Is going to be reflected on you directly. Even if you hit the button two seconds from now, you're going to see direct consequences, and that's unfair because a person, you know, working a nine-to-five job and has 200 Twitter followers, they can tweet and say whatever they want, and there's no consequences. But when you're a public figure, um, the playing field gets changed.
1: I agree, and I I would also add to your point that. You know, Dwayne Wade retired, I believe it was two seasons ago, right? It wasn't long ago. And this is a guy who has been obsessed with controlling his message over his retirement. Had a very, very long retirement tour, uh, so to speak. Had a documentary come out about his career and things like that. Uh, And also was in the midst of that Heat team that I referenced before that was the talk of the league for four years and villains, you know, fairly or unfairly so. Uh, but he's he's no stranger to being in the public eye where you could even maybe argue that Harden isn't as used to that. I, I know he's a top five player at least in the league right now. So I, I'm probably being a little uh, too easy on him as well. Uh, but I guess my, my point that I just kind of add is that uh, I do think... Dwayne Wade has less of of an excuse than James Harden. If, if we're comparing the two issues, I I think we're on the same page, uh, as you mentioned with them both kind of needing to be more aware. I seriously doubt James Harden bought that mask. I I bet someone, an assistant or someone on his team bought that for him. Um, and, and he probably just honestly didn't know that, that it was a political statement. Um, it, well, unintentionally uh, became a political statement. He didn't intend it that way, uh, but with Dwayne Wade, I I think you're right on the money with what you said there. And you you have to read and be very careful before you put something out there when you have millions of followers. Like you said, I mean I have very few followers on Twitter, and I read my tweets, uh, you know, double triple checking them before I send out send them out just because people are very very quick to criticize and try and bring you down honestly if and more so i'm sure if, if you're a public figure like Dwayne wade it's
0: true and they have social media teams what are you what are you paying them for like what are you doing <laughs> like you Yes, yeah. that's, that's, that's that's what you have your budget for <laughs> so um yeah i think they learned a lesson i don't think it's worth the like, killing them over and over again um but I, it's, just, it's a lesson learned, for sure. And so, I guess we're both in agreement. You don't think,
1: as I don't think, that either of them had malicious, harmful intent, anything like that. No, I don't think so. Not I that Harden would, have... would have been harmful, even even if he had meant it. I mean, you could you could argue, you know, he he wasn't trying to be antagonistic. Is what I'm saying? Yes. No. Yeah. Um.
0: I don't think so. I think it's both out of ignorance. I think they would have come out in more of a structured interview or um, more of a controlled statement in which they can um, control the narrative rather than completely denying it. So, no, I think it's both both based on ignorance and kind of life moves on. So Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and another point we wanted to discuss is really the NBA bubble and this snitch hotline. Um, <laughs> that's, and we discussed this, uh, myself and Nate. Um, yeah, it was funny. Just, just about, like, who's getting snitched out, who's going outside the bubble. I mean – It's funny because, you know, we've heard some players saying there's an NBA code about, okay, no one's going to snitch on anybody. But, yeah, you know, people are still calling this hotline. So I find that very interesting. (laughs) Um, And we have some news about, you know, Dwight Howard getting in a little bit of minor trouble uh, for not wearing a mask. Uh, Can you kind of elaborate on that?
1: Yeah, I guess it was just reported that that he wasn't taking that very seriously. I I honestly don't have specific details of gotcha. of the event that happened. I'm going to see if I can find it here real quick, but um yeah, I guess he just was snitched on. I mean, you can um you could just imagine how you know, I mean, I mean these guys are are kept in their own bubbles a lot of the time even when they're not in the Orlando bubble. I mean, these guys travel with their teams. I mean, like we talked about for James Harden, and um, let's see yeah so so I do I can confirm he was reported on the snitch hotline that <laughs> and he, he's kind of been saying somebody told on him somebody called him on the the snitch hotline um, and it sounds like it's happened multiple times here uh, and he's also said this is. Uh, via Yahoo Sports. He's also said he doesn't believe in vaccinations, which is interesting. I saw that. Um, <laughs> so, so, I mean, I guess, end of the day here, to, to not drag this out, you know, you need to take the protocol seriously or the league is going to hammer him for it and potentially not let him play if if this keeps up. Uh, so, so, basically, I mean, these guys, um, you, you know, reporters have been saying... That, you know, they get there, they get to their hotel room and they are stuck in their hotel room for seven days.
0: They are. And
1: they keep getting tested each day at around the same time. And, and it literally is a situation where, I mean, they, they are almost imprisoned in that room. Like, Correct. they are getting a knock on the door when their breakfast, lunch and dinner arrive. And they're getting a knock on the door and someone to come in and test them. When that time comes, and that's about it. So, th- so they are not joking around with this NBA bubble, uh, and and I think that's really good to hear. I, I think it's also, uh, you know, we joke around about the snitch hotline and everything, but I do think for this situation that is a handy thing to have this anonymous tip line because it's there's there's a lot of money on the line. There are clear guidelines that were set as far as. We are going to be really strict and serious about being in the bubble. And, you know, if Dwight Howard isn't taking this seriously, we've, we've seen in the past in his NBA career where he doesn't take certain things seriously, and uh, that's, that's going to be a real problem, and it may prevent him getting on the court if it keeps up. And, and same thing with any other player that doesn't follow
0: these guidelines.
1: Have you heard anything else about this or any other comments on this situation?
0: No, just the same comments. Um, and I have some, this is a quote from Dwight Howard, like you said, man, that pretty much confirms he hates wearing a mask on campus. Here he says here from USA Today, quote, I personally don't see a risk of us getting it during the time period that we're here. We're not allowed to leave the bubble. We're only around each other every day. Um, I just feel like it would be pointless for somebody to say anything. I understand outside of the bubble wearing a mask is different in places is very important. So I wouldn't say that it's not needed, but since we're here in this bubble and we're the only ones here and the staff and everyone is getting tested every day, I feel like we're safe. So I get where he's coming from. Um, And also, too, it's a thing where, you know, we're humans. You know, you forget to wear the mask. I understand. And also him in particular Even though he's not at his superstar clout as he once was, he's going to be treated differently compared to you know some seventh player riding the bench on the Wizards. So if he's not wearing his mask constantly, they're just going to tell him to put his mask on and he'll put it on. But nothing's going to happen to him. Um, I I will say you're right from the kind of atmosphere that you describe of the bubble. um, That's 100% true. Um, two things. If you're a NBA fan, please listen to the Bill Simmons podcast with, with Chris Haynes, a Yahoo sports writer. Yeah. He describes his experience excellently. Um, just when he gets there, really how you don't get to do anything outside your hotel room. How, you know, your only chance to go outside when you're quarantined is to get your test. And yeah, he was explaining how really his only exercise was running to the testing site and running back. <laughs> so Dallas is exercised <laughs> outside of his hotel room. So it's it's brutal. And uh, Malika Andrews of ESPN, um, she's been providing updates on the YouTube, their ESPN YouTube page, um, on Sports Center and the jump. So check them out. They've been in the bubble, I think, the most. So yeah, she it's, was it's, also on Zach Lowe's podcast, yeah. I believe. Below post, if mm-hmm. you guys are
1: looking for more detailed description of of what that's like on the bubble, yeah.
0: If you're a hardcore NBA fan, that's, those are must listen tos because um, you'll really get the grasp what you know everybody is going through. So, I mean, overall, I I get it with the White. You know, it's it's a drag and everything going on. At the same time, especially after their quarantine, they have like the best restaurants. They can pretty much eat what they want. They should be okay. Um, but the seven days when they get there, I get it. It sucks. I mean. I think even though Jay Williams made the point, like why are these multimillionaires complaining? Like you would everybody would complain too, right? If you were put in that same situation and you're not giving the food that you want to eat for seven days. I mean, let's keep it real here. I mean, a lot of people would have the same complaints. Let's not act like everybody's so high and mighty here. Um it's for sure. It's just it's just a weird situation. So hopefully um, it's only going to get kind of worse in terms of wearing a mask. I mean, for the Lakers, they're favorited to win the title. So I think he hopes to be there until October. So the negative side effects going to be he's going to have to wear a mask, you know, and deal with this until then. So he kind of, you know, you knew what you were signing up for. The NBA sent the safety document and he opted to play. So he's there. So you have to follow the rules. Um, but, you know, I get his frustration.
1: Yeah. I think that's all well said, and uh, I hope you don't mind me shifting a little bit, but we've seen the benefit of the bubble this week uh, because I I believe just yesterday it came out that uh, the government in Canada is not going to let the Toronto Blue Jays of Major League Baseball uh, continue with the MLB season as planned. So they're going to have to figure out an alternate option. I I think they were planning on, on just you know, resuming baseball and having teams play at their stadiums, things like that. Uh, but for the time being, the the Blue Jays are either not going to be able to play or they're going to have to find somewhere else to play. So, so we can see that it, it was smart kind of foresight by the NBA to set this all down in the Orlando bubble and have this isolation happen uh, because they are able to all continue their season. Like the Raptors were... I believe the first team to arrive down in Florida. Uh, We talked about that a few weeks back um, in June and they're going to be able to continue their season and, and participate because specifically the NBA is, is in this bubble. So there are benefits to that. I think a lot of NBA players may, maybe not more so than other athletes, but it does seem like NBA players, a good majority of them are pretty extroverted and so I can I can see where them being used to to going out with their groups, with their friends, et cetera. Yeah, the mask is is cumbersome. Uh, but like like you said, we're all feeling that. We're all struggling with that. We mentioned last week on the podcast here in New Mexico, I mean, the rule really is when you step outside the door of your house to go outside, you the expectation is that you have a mask on i mean i talked about when i walk my dog i I have to wear a mask now is is the guideline uh but it's something that you know we're all in together and i don't think anybody enjoys wearing the mask (laughs) it doesn't bring any anyone joy to do that but we understand the reason for that and you know it's the same thing here you gotta gotta play by the rules if if you want to play and get that shot at the title
0: yeah, I, I I totally agree with you. And this is something I talked to Nate about. Is I think the NBA, from a you know bubble standpoint, has done the best out of the team sports. And I don't really understand other team sports like football. They they have been horrible through this. Like JJ Watt posted a thing on his Instagram, just wondering what the heck's going on with everything. And I don't really understand once you know sports got canceled in march why we haven't heard any bubble talk from the nfl safety protocols any kind of a plan it's that's just insane to me same thing with college sports they just assumed like everything was gonna get back to normal which makes zero sense to me and the nba has been proactive and you've seen the fruits of their labor the same thing goes with mls the same thing goes for our neck of the woods matt with the usl with the new mexico united um it can't yep. be done and especially with NFL is a billion-dollar entity, and you can't figure out a way to make these players safe. Like, it's one thing for high school sports; it's one thing for, you know, different types of businesses understand, you know, they, they can't operate because of different safety protocols. But you're the NFL, and you can't pull this off. Um, and I know you're gonna. It's gonna be like, well, it's football; it's fifty-four man roster. Granted, it's more difficult, but you have unlimited resources, and you you can't, you know. Create an environment to get the season off the ground safely. Safely, and now you have JJ Watt questioning what what's going on with the training camp. Training camp's going on as normal, <laughs> so I, I it's it's unfathomable why some team sports have been just so lackadaisical about this. Where it's very clear, if even if you think coronavirus is a hoax, it's your opinion's irrelevant. It's based on the government. It's based on the restrictions. So you're out of luck. You have to play by these rules. So you're, whether you want a mask or you don't want a mask or you think this is a waste of time or you're super conservative, that opinion means nothing. You you have to adapt to the situation of which, which city you live in. And for the NFL in particular and college football not to have a cohesive plan. I'm shocked to be honest, just because there's so much money on the line. um, It really is embarrassing. And I think we've seen, you know, basketball in particular adapt to this bubble environment fairly well. Uh, We've seen the basketball tournament be successful. We've seen uh, there's another basketball tournament in Vegas going on right now. The the, the, the NBA, the WNBA is about to um, begin as well. So it can't be done. We've seen, you know, the UFC, we've seen entertainment entities, the WWE, um, other kind of, you know, kind of forums get back to um, conducting business under new safety protocols. And we've seen some sports struggle um, with, with the resources I I find shocking.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I think if I had to bet on it, you know, if, if I had to bet a large sum of money, I, I think – I would bet that football, even college football, I think is still going to come back, just simply like you said, because of the money that's on the line. And I could see it. You're you're absolutely right in your criticism of the planning or lack thereof, uh, more accurately. Uh, but I I do see it as there being so much money on the line that even if they are finalizing this plan like the week before, I I do see. It coming together. Of course, I've (laughs) I've been wrong plenty of times before and I will own it if I am. But uh, but I am going to guess that college football and professional football, especially professional football, will be back uh, at some point this fall, maybe a later start, Um, maybe the NBA starting later and these other major sports starting a little bit later. will buy them a little bit of time to get that plan together. but I, I just think there's so much money and especially in um, collegiate athletic departments when you're trying to get those budgets and considering the losses that they already are going to take no matter what, I do think that um, there will be a, a large push to get a plan together. It's, it's a lot messier in college football, of course, uh, because all the different conferences um, run so differently from each other compared to, you know, it's, it's not the same as like AFC versus NFC in the NFL. It's not, not the same thing at all. It's, it's very, very different like comparing big 10 to Pac 10 or um, so. So, you know, it's, it's just going to take a little more time. I, I think, there's a little bit more of a mess there when you talk about college football specifically, but I, I do think it is going to get done. And maybe I am just the eternal optimist when it comes to that. Uh, but more so I think because of the money, that's, that's really going to drive it that I don't think you can have a bagel on that season, um, for something that generates so much money for universities specifically.
0: Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I'm just not optimistic as I just think there's just been a sense of laziness. I don't, I haven't heard anything in terms of, okay, there's some guidelines for each school to follow in terms of how we're going to pull different sports off. I, I'm just not optimistic. We're we're, the the month is almost over. We're two weeks away from July being over. We're going to be in August. Like where, where's the plans? Like, like what are we doing? Where's the safety protocols? Like I, I as I don't know. Um, I'm it's shocking to me. it is I'm gonna just be honest I'm, I'm less optimistic um, And you know as a fan of sports of course you I want to see them come back at the same time uh, safely and what's frustrating if I'm a if you're a hardcore college football fan I know we're kind of branching off a little bit but you see these other sports doing it and being you know successful and yeah. you see it yet in collegiate athletics um, and the NFL, a lack of planning and just kind of ignorance. I I, I don't I don't understand. <laughs> it's baffling to me, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I think in a way it's kind of a microcosm of
1: our response to coronavirus in general, in that sure. we are, if if you want to count from March, we are four months into this, and we still don't really know a whole lot. I'm I'm sad to say. Uh, we've seen. Very, very different, and and unfortunate results between states that have acted very, very differently in their response to coronavirus. Um, and and we've seen we we haven't found something that is like the silver bullet to the virus itself. So it's it's just chaotic all around. And I think collegiate sports, because of what I alluded to earlier, with the differences between the conferences. Uh, there's a lot more chaos there in that infrastructure, and I, if if I had to guess, I mean that's that's what I think is causing this delay, and I don't know how much t- of that delay is tied to state schools waiting on guidance from their state government. I don't know how much it's tied to that, and and maybe there's something that's holding them back from coming out with their plan, because I mean. You know, if, if you're an athletic director, I can't imagine you've just been like sitting there, you know, refreshing your computer screen this whole time we've been in coronavirus. I I think these people are working, but there may be something that um, they are looking for more guidance and, and maybe they've been handcuffed as far as how much planning they can really do. But, you know, I, I'm just kind of postulating here. but But I do think it speaks to. The chaos in collegiate sports in general um and it's it's harder to get all these conferences on the same page with each other i mean like like the news of the big 10 saying that they are not going to play their non-conference schedule but we didn't hear that unanimously from all the major conferences so it seems like you know the sec is waiting on that because there's a big financial incentive for, we all know that SEC fans love their college football. So, so I think there is incentive there for them to, to wait a little bit longer and see if potentially those state governments being more open about opening up their states. And maybe that allows the possibility of, of a full entire season. So I don't know. The whole thing is, is messy. Obviously, and frustrating. <laughs> I, I, and I, I can understand the, you know, the, the kind of pessimism, pessimism or, or doubt that you have towards it. Um, I also just think that, you know, even, even at like UNM, uh, even at the smaller budget there uh, for their athletic department, I, I just can't imagine that they want to uh, just have a bagel for the entire year, you know? and you extrapolate that to a school with like a hundred million dollar athletic budget, like university of Texas, you can't imagine that they're not going to want to play college football. If,
0: if at all allowable and possible. That's true. Yeah. Well, just is. We'll just have to wait and see, man, for sure. Um, there's anything else you want to touch on before we head to these two interviews?
1: No, man, you guys enjoy these two interviews. Um, Feedback, as always, on triple-double-podcasts at gmail.com or if you like the show, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. We appreciate you guys. Check us out on Facebook. Our Twitter handle is at TripDubPodcast. We also have an Instagram page if, if you are down with Instagram more so than any of those other platforms. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy these interviews. They they were really fun for us to do. And Justin did a great job interviewing Nate earlier this week. So I'm looking forward to hearing what you guys
0: think about it. Awesome, Matt. So for Matt Thomas, I'm Justin Goodrum. Thanks for listening to the show. Um, and we'll see you next week. And now stay tuned for Nate Melton. Boom, shakalaka. Now we have the pleasure in welcoming on the show. He is one half of the host of the Kings of Sport podcast with Vandenberg. Um, he is Nate Milton. Thanks for joining us, Nate. Really appreciate it.
2: Oh, hold on, man. I think I got the wrong number. I was looking for the NBA snitch hotline because uh, <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in downtown Orlando, and I just saw J.R. Smith and Deion Waiters leave a Perkins. So somebody needs to know. Adam Silver needs to know what's going on in these streets, man. <laughs> <laughs> right for sure oh but yeah be- how you doing man how you doing uh it's good cra- crazy times in this world that we living in uh
0: yeah um tell me about it it's it's feel like we're living in an alternate universe right now um but i, I wanted to have you on nate because i think you have great perspective on kind of not only the pandemic from kind of other sports, but um, just your, your um, opinions on kind of social injustice as well. But I want to kind of just to get your reaction to f- when the pandemic first hit, um, you're a huge sports fan. What was your overall opinion? Um, were you kind of like in shock that like all your sports were taken away? Um, how did you first feel when the pandemic happened?
2: Well, here's the thing, man. Like, I obviously, like uh, most sports fans out there, I was maybe not shocked, maybe shocked is too strong, but I was certainly kind of surprised that you have these big organizations like the NBA, like the NFL, like major league baseball, hell, like, you know, the NCAA canceling these events because we know the dollars that are involved with these sports, you know? And and so I got to give credit to Adam Silver and the NBA who were really the ones that kind of stepped out and took the lead on this and, and basically shut everything down, uh, Unfortunately, our country <laughs> didn't, didn't follow the lead of sports man. And then so exactly. you've got governors and mayors and presidents that are all giving people conflicting information. And so I feel like had we had we just listened to Adam Silver, had we elected Adam Silver president, uh temporary president, uh we could have been out of this, you know, by the fall. Uh, but unfortunately we didn't. And so yeah, like I, I'm actually cautiously optimistic about the nba bubble season um there was a while maybe about a month ago where i didn't think that we were going to be able to get get sports done at all you know and and even now we're still seeing uh like ncaa football being put on the back burner uh like you know it's serious when high school football in texas is like like nah we we can't do this right now so like i gotta give credit to the nba for coming up with this plan um and we'll we'll see how it goes like i'm cautiously optimistic like i said brother but who knows like the only thing uh that, that's for sure as as sting would say the only thing for sure is nothing's for sure in, in the midst of this pandemic
0: that's that's totally true um and you saying that one of the questions that's boggled my mind is other sports in particularly the nfl where you know there's Billions of dollars on the line too, and yet they have no plan. And you brought up, um, you know, high school football and college football as well, and they have no plan either. Do you know why football in particular have been kind of lackadaisical on this issue as compared to basketball? Like we just had the the basketball tournament go on. Um, we've seen other basketball um, tournaments happen, the WNBA's in its bubble. Why mm. why it's been so trouble for football? What's what's the struggle there? Because it's not even like them like actually playing the game. They don't even have a plan yet. There's there's no kind of blueprint or layout.
2: Yeah, I think the easy answer for that is uh to to quote American poet Nellie and say, why must it be that way? Hey, must be the money. Uh <laughs> because that that's the only reasonable answer, right? Is that these operations are, are so hesitant to do what the nba did and follow suit because they know the dollars and cents involved and granted like to give roger goodell and the nfl and and uh you know the sec and the the acc and these football uh conferences a little bit of leeway there are so many more moving parts to a football team than a basketball team and just the sheer number of players the trainers the staff all that good stuff you know you're talking about different conferences in different regions you know like somebody in the midwest might be in a situation where coronavirus is on the downcline, on the downturn where somebody on the east coast to the west coast coronavirus is still hot right now like coronavirus is, is in the midst of its hot girl summer so there's a reason why i feel like football has been so hesitant to kind of get on board with this but it feels like they had to be drag kicking and screaming because now it's like, yeah, there's no way we can do this. Not just for the pros, but more particularly and more specifically for these college kids. Like if you were asking these kids that you're not paying to go out here and risk their health uh, for your entertainment and for your enjoyment, like that's, that's a bad look right now. So I feel like we're only a matter of time before football just being like, yeah, we, we can't do it and, and, and shutting down like the pros might still try to get a season in. Uh, but I think specifically for these college kids, like it's it's not worth the risk right now.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, I feel you. I, I don't think there's going to be a, a college football season at all, especially where we're too deep into the year already. Um, I wanted to also ask you. Another kind of um, huge issue through this pandemic has been social injustice, uh, and particularly with the NBA through the murder of George Floyd. And we've seen um, players um, in the NBA and the WNBA want to put messages of social um, injustice on the back of their jerseys. Um, You mentioned on your podcast that's kind of a slippery slope. Could you elaborate on that? And do you ultimately think this might backfire um, for the, the NBA to do this?
2: Well, yeah, I think and I think we've seen a bit of the slippery slope this past this past week. in the fact that when you allow people to say anything, people can say anything. And so when you're talking about the NBA, are you really that cool with somebody like Ennis Cantor, you know, speaking to issues going on in his homeland? Are you cool with somebody bringing up Hong Kong like that's for all the great that the NBA has done? Like Hong Kong is like their are they're. they're Open secret, like like yeah, don't don't talk about that. Uh, and we saw that when that senator was out there, and he, and he sent them message to ESPN, and, and uh, Adrian Wojnarowski hit back at him with the with the bleep you. Uh, so like I think the NBA has to be careful with it. I applaud them for taking a stand for social issues, and it's something the NBA has always done this. You know, we saw this when uh, Trayvon Martin was killed. You know, we saw the Miami Heat come out and speak in solidarity of, of this young man that was killed. And so I think the NBA has kind of always been a bit more progressive, uh, but you really have to credit the WNBA. And I don't think they're getting enough pub because let's be real. Like people don't really care about the WNBA unless you're WNBA fans. Like it's not something that's top of mind, but you got to give credit to people like Maya Moore who are sacrificing their careers To go out here and stand up for what they believe is right. And so I feel like there's a balance that can be made here. Like you can you can have your corporate safety and not be scared that, uh, you know, Dion Waiters is going to pop off and talk about Hong Kong while also allowing the players to stand up for Black Lives Matter and to stand up for social justice in America
0: and And you saying that really the the origins of this idea, I think I heard came from a WNBA player. um and they're dealing with their their own controversy, even with Elena Deladon um mm. with her Lyme disease, and they're not the, the league not giving her an exemption t- um, to sit out the season. And instead, she has to pick between either you know sacrificing her health or sacrificing her pay. um i guess I guess I want to ask you, Nate. You mentioned that there's been kind of low interest in the WNBA. My, my my host and I have kind of talked about this off air in terms of why that is. What's, what's your opinion of the WNBA overall? Do you think it's because of the promotion and kind of pro wrestling terms in terms of not you know promoting them and not pushing them yeah. on the network, or do you think it really is something to do with the actual style of play? And it's that you know when you see the NBA all the time, that style is kind of stuck in your mind. In that having a another style that's different from that is going to kind of cause problems for them to catch on to the mainstream.
2: Well, I think there's a difference between something being great in the short term and then great as a part of your everyday life. And this is no disrespect to the WNBA. Like I was a fan when the WNBA first launched back in the day. Me too. You know, I I you know I had my my Rebecca Lobo jersey and I was repping for Cheryl swoops and and so like the 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 idea and concept is great for the WNBA. But if you just look at the numbers, right, and the viewership of like the women's final four in college, and then you compare it to the WNBA, like the interest is there for whatever reason, when it's these girls at Yukon or Tennessee or Mississippi State out here playing as opposed to can I get you to watch a New York Liberty game? Or can I get you to watch the Phoenix Mercury play? And and that, that translation hadn't really hit. It's very similar in my in my opinion to like, people get so hyped up about women's World Cup soccer, but yes. <laughs> they won't watch a professional women's league. Or hell, they don't even really watch the Major League Soccer League with the guys. And so like, where's that disconnect coming from? So like, I feel like promotion might be a part of it, but I, I just think that, Unless you are somebody with a dog in the fight for the WNBA, meaning, you know, these are players that you followed in college or, you know, you're a parent and you have a little girl that is looking up to these women like heroes. Like, I feel like just the average dude, right, like the average guy that watches sports is not checking for the WNBA and it's it's a shame because they are some really great players and when you talk about specifically Maya Moore like what Maya Moore has done on the court like you can make the comparison that she is the WNBA version of a Steph Curry or even a LeBron James in terms of how good she is but nobody really knows about Maya Moore unless you're checking for Maya Moore. I feel
0: you, um, Nate, in terms of the players there, I'll put Diana Taurasi in that category yep. as well.
2: Well, that's the um, thing. Like, Diana Taurasi yeah. is so good, but she had to leave for a year because the it's WNBA true. wouldn't yeah. pay her. She had to go to Russia because she knew that them rubles was going to pay more than these American dollars. So I think that's another thing. Like, the, the WNBA, to me, doesn't feel like they make these women stars, right? Like, in the NBA, everybody's a star. You know, if if you, if you can halfway play ball in the NBA – you are going to get a commercial. You know, you're going to be out there with with Chris Paul on the State Farm commercial for no reason. <laughs> Kevin Love. Um, uh, but <laughs> that, was, that was that was disrespectful. I I love Kevin Love, man. He's a, he's a good player. Just he's in a bad situation stuck yes. in Cleveland. Uh exactly. but like for these women, like I feel like they don't get promoted the way they should. And yeah, they might not be household names right now, but if you play 15, you know, uh Brianna Taylor. Uh, excuse me. Brianna Brianna Taylor. I See, now I've got social justice on my mind. Right. Uh, <laughs> no, Brianna, Brianna Stewart is what I meant yeah. to say. If you got uh, 15 Brianna Stewart commercials go playing during the WNBA game, like I might not know who she is the first three times I see that commercial, but by the fourth or fifth time, I'm like, huh, she must be good. I might be inclined to check out a WNBA game, particularly right now. Like if you're gonna if, if you're gonna get fans, now is the time to do it in an era where sports fans are starving for any content. Right. Like you got people watching Korean baseball at two o'clock in the morning because Mm -hmm. there's nothing else to watch. You got people that would have never thought about watching MMA, watching these UFC fights because there's nothing else on. So I think this is an opportunity for the WNBA to kind of step up. I just won't hold my breath because the American sports fan thus far has not shown an appetite for women's basketball at that professional level.
0: I, I agree with you, Nate. That's been one of my key complaints. Just when you watch ESPN, as compared, you mentioned the UFC, you see plenty of just pieces in depth stories about yep. UFC fighters. You never heard of. And yet with the WNBA, you hear from it here or there, usually a controversy, right? Either they're not being paid. They're playing overseas. It's always negative. It's never, um, star making pieces besides the Maya Moore, um, what she's done really. Other than that, I haven't really seen that. I think yeah. I've seen more of the organic, um, growth actually through instagram and twitter through high school female players
2: um like i think this, maybe like would, maybe they've got a shot this season again if they yeah. do get it going with uh somebody like a sabrina Ionescu. there you go yep because i think yeah. she might have the ability particularly you know with that connection to the late great kobe bryant like she might have right. that ability to maybe cross over but like these stars are few and far between, and it's unfortunate because, like, they yeah, they're going out there they're playing hard for not a lot of money, right? Like not as much money as you would think. Not even um, close, <laughs> you know. Like they can make more money in Italy or or, or in China as opposed to over here, and it, it's crazy.
0: Yeah, I I totally feel you, Nate. Um, I want to also ask you to when we see um basketball actually on the court. What are you most looking forward to? I mean, us being wrestling fans, we've we've watched, you know, some of what's, what the other promotions have done with limited or no fans. Um, do you see a similar dynamic happening with the NBA in terms of how you view the presentation? Uh, do you see it taken away, adding to it? Uh, what are you looking forward to?
2: Honestly, I think the NBA might be the easiest transition to make because – we've all, you know, obviously we're not at that NBA level, but we've all played ball at the gym. You know, we've all played ball at the park, you know, and so I feel like the NBA, they're masses of presentation anyway, but in this situation where you can mic players up and hear the trash talk on the court and things of that nature, I think there's an opportunity uh, to do some really cool things. Uh, like, I feel like just basketball in general as a sport, for a TV product just works so well, you know, it, it, it's, and this is no disrespect to these other sports, but like, I've, I've watched soccer during the pandemic. I've watched, you know, the, uh, the formula one racing, uh, both the real racing and also when they were doing like the virtual racing, I've watched uh, a couple of NASCAR races, shout out to Bubba Wallace. And like, those are all interesting sports, but they don't nearly jump off the screen like basketball does. You know, particularly when you're talking about athletes like a Kawhi Leonard or LeBron James or a Zion Williamson, if, if he's able to make it back to the Pelicans. Uh, so I, I, I think the audience is going to be ready for it. The, they're going to be hungry for it. And until something goes inevitably wrong, I think it's going to be really fun because, uh, again, I'm cautiously optimistic here. Like, I believe in the bubble. I believe in the, the sanctity of, uh, you know, the Orlando compound. But the fact, the mere fact that J.R. Smith is in the bubble already makes me feel like the bubble's being compromised a little bit. Just, just on principle, when J.R. Smith is in,
0: <laughs> he's pretty much he could be the Jinx
2: that like kind of
0: <laughs> pops the pops the bubble and <laughs> explodes um, into a billion. Like right, who
2: left the back door of the bubble open? Right. Like, damn it, J.R.
0: Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, w- one more question for you, Nate, before I let you go. Um, who do you? see as that's the favorite um as things resume or do you do you see a team taking advantage of the situation to most through injuries or Mm -hmm. just maybe through a i don't know a lack of a better term a lens we're not seeing in terms of a team being able to exploit this bubble to their advantage to maybe when we see the nba finals in um october we're saying this is insane how does this team become the nba champion in 2020
2: I think, you know, there's two things. Like if you just want to look on paper, obviously, I would think the favorites would be the Lakers, the Clippers, and then in the East, the Bucks. Like I, I feel like unless something out of whack happens, which is entirely possible given the circumstances of this postseason, like the Bucks pretty much have a free lane to the finals because I don't see anybody else stepping up and, and taking them out in the East. Uh, but then again, like this is a postseason we've never seen before. And so like if it's not going to be the Lakers or the Clippers or the Bucks, a couple of teams I would just kind of look out for are the teams where you've got players that can can work in isolation. Right. Like players that can step up when everything else is breaking down. And I hate to say it, but a team that pops off to me is a squad like the Rockets. Ah. where you've got James Harden, you've got Russ Westbrook and they can like, they don't need the system to get buckets, right? Sure. They can get buckets on their own. And that might be what it ends up being in this post season where it's just kind of this war of attrition and guys' bodies are wearing down just because, you know, they haven't had the proper season. And so it's like the guys that can go out and create on their own are going to be the guys that, that can do some damage in the post season. So the rockets are a team I'd look out for, uh, you know, Dame Lillard and, and the uh, Blazers are a team that I look out for. And I'm going to – here's the thing. I'm going to go crazy. This is a silly season because, again, we've never had a postseason like this before. But if I, if I had to, like, take a flyer on just some random team, I might be inclined to take a look at the Phoenix Suns. Oh.
0: <laughs>
2: just because my, I like my... – Devin Booker, I think, is one of the underrated players in the league. That's totally true. Yep. Like, I think Devin Booger can get hot and, you know, like whatever Aiden can give him at this point. uh, Again, it's going to come down to which teams are the most equipped to adapt. And yes, in in theory, I think a team like the Lakers, where you've got LeBron and you've got a structure might be beneficial. It also might go the complete opposite way, man, where it's like the teams with the fresher legs and the young gunners and, and guys that go out and get their own shots. Those are the teams that are going to be able to piece together four or five games.
0: Yeah. I, I feel you totally. I think in those teams to look out for, that's kind of under the radar, the Toronto Raptors, um, just because even though the, it's granted they don't have Jurassic Park or just their, their fans um, still, they have that continuity without Kawhi Leonard. It could be a sleeper because no one's taking them seriously and everybody's um, kind of not paying attention because they don't have their star player this year. So um, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what they have to offer. Um, Nate, thanks very much for joining um, onto the podcast. Really appreciate it. Go ahead and plug um, any new projects you're doing, plug your podcast, um, anything else you want to uh uh, keep us in the loop.
2: Oh, well, thank you for having me, brother. It's uh, fun to, you know, show up and, and talk some hoops. It's funny because, you know, a lot of times when people are like reach reach out to me or something like that, it's always I always have to talk about something negative, quote unquote, like, uh, you know, the state of race relations in America or yeah. the, the state of professional wrestling in America. So, right. <laughs> it's, it's good to talk about something at least somewhat positive. Uh, like the NBA. I, I am excited for the season to start back up again. Um, but you can check me out on Twitter in the number eight MOZAIK at Nate Mosaic. I don't have a blue check, so I'm always going to be around. You don't have to worry about me disappearing. Uh, but you can check me out there. Uh, as you mentioned, man, I've got the Kings of Sport with Marcus Vanderberg of Yahoo Sports. We've been doing that show for going on eight years. So, uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's pandemic proof. You know, we 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 keeping this thing moving. Uh, we've got a Patreon, patreon.com backslash Kings Sport, where you can uh subscribe for you know five dollars. That'll get you in the door, and you get access to a hundred hours of bonus content, audio and video. We talk sports, we talk pop culture, we talk politics, pro wrestling, bunch of stuff over there on the Patreon. Um, I've got some other shows, uh post wrestling, uh I've got the Rocky My Via Picture Show, which is a movie review show. I've got uh, the Black Lightning Podcast over at DCTV Podcast. I've got the main event over at Place to Be Nation. Like, i got so many shows, man. Like, I've I got my hands in a, in a bunch of different pots, uh, you know, because that, that's how I stay busy during this pandemic. So, you, again, check me out on Twitter. In the number eight, M-O-Z-A-I-K. I uh, almost stuck the landing. Uh, at Nate Mosaic on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, again, man, I appreciate you. Uh, bringing me on, man, to talk some NBA to chop it up. I'm excited for the season. Uh, But but I got to go because I I really do need to report that I saw Dion Waiters and J.R. Smith at this Perkins. Uh, They ordered the sweet potato pie and Adam (laughs) Silver needs to know about this immediately because actions need to be taken. So I got to call the snitch hotline. Please snitch on them. I'll be (laughs) here right there with you. Um, Thank you very
0: much, Nate. Really appreciate it. Um, Stay safe. Appreciate you coming on.
2: You too, brother. Take it easy
0: now we are joined by rayon ali he is a writer from columbus ohio um his work includes um published articles on the Wired Magazine, Spin the Atlantic, the AV Club, and he's the writer of the book NBA Jam, um, chronicalizing the history of that video game. So uh, a lot of youngsters out there, if you don't know what NBA Jam is, um, you better go to either Xbox um, Arcade or PlayStation or just go on YouTube and just do your research um, and check it out because this is probably one of the games that have influenced uh, not only just um, sports video games, but also just video game culture in general. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. It.
3: Oh my gosh. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm excited to talk.
0: So you wanted to pick your brain, um, Rayon, by reading the book and thank you very much for giving us an advance just in a copy of it. Really appreciate it. And just noticing the book, it just it's it's short and it's kind of really easy to read. So was that really hard to kind of confine all that information, all that research into just kind of, you know, a short, easy to read um, just a book for anybody to check out?
3: Definitely, definitely. That was one of the hardest things throughout the whole process. So yeah, so when I started working on it in 2015, um, so yeah, so it finally came out in 2019, but I started working on it in 2015. So over those four years, I went from having like five interviews to 10 to 15 to 20. And by the end, I had 68 interviews that I all had to pare down into what you read as the book now. So that was a huge concern for me. Yeah. I mean, when you think of NBA GM, there's so many different elements over there. You've got the video game side, the NBA culture side, you've got the midway side, I mean, you've got the whole acclaim, uh, you know, the, the home ports versus the arcade game. So there was a lot of, lot of material over there. So I'm actually very proud to say it is the single longest book in Boss Fight Book series, uh, the, the series that it's in. So I was really happy that they're able to give me so much room. So even then, yeah, it was a lot of work to, to trim it down.
0: And why do you think NBA Jam has resonated with fans even now in 2020? Because I think in my opinion, really, it's NBA Jam and NBA 2K that really uh, been in the minds of basketball fans. Those are really the only two games, uh, fans of basketball and video games really talk about NBA Live might be mentioned here or there. But it's really it's NBA Jam and NBA 2K that gets mentioned. Uh, Why do you think that is?
3: Oh, man. There's a lot that goes into that. I think the big thing with NBA Jam is that it was very right place, right time. I mean, it's such a great game, but even taking aside the great game aspect, I mean, think about the time period that NBA Jam came out in. So it came out in 993 in Chicago, or actually late 992 in Chicago is when it debuted. And this is like a few months after the Dream Team, you know, won their gold medals. This is when the Chicago Bulls were the biggest thing in the league. This is when arcade games were at a really sweet spot. And this is from the same company that put out Mortal Kombat. So they had all these different factors going for them when they released it at the time. Um, but, I mean, NBA Jam itself is such a playable game, and it really holds up. I mean, that two-on-two style is just so addictive. I mean, there's so many things that go into why it's so so memorable. But, you know, I think, yeah, it also comes down to the fact that it was the right game at the right time for all those people. I mean… It was, it was so huge. Um, the stat that I always look at that really makes me think about how big NBA Jam actually was was, I think I talk about this in the book, uh, it's that Jurassic Park in 1993 made something like $374 million. And that was the biggest thing ever. You know, every, Jurassic Park 3 was everywhere in 1993. And NBA Jam made triple that. Triple that in token slash quarters, Jeez. which is incredible. It made a billion dollars, a billion. And it's just such a bizarre image, the <laughs> idea of people lining up in arcades to play a game. I mean, it's such a different time. Um, but you know, it's such a great, t- great game. and such a great time period that, yeah, you know, it, there's just so much that goes for it. The, the lore itself is really kind of manifested more over the years, um, which just speaks to how good NBA Jam is. Absolutely. You know, one of the things I was
1: really interested in, in reading in, in your book was kind of also that the history of arcade gaming. Cause I feel like you know, I, w- I was born in 86, and that's kind mm-hmm. of a culture that I caught maybe the very tail end of. I mean, really, like right around that time, NBA Jam came out. Uh, I mean, I think maybe like five years after it came out, I got to experience on an actual like arcade box, you know, maybe the tournament mm-hmm. edition or something like that. Um, was it difficult for you to find that information and that that background on arcade gaming?
3: It actually wasn't Too difficult once i knew where to look so the big thing was trying to figure out okay where am i going to go digging so i went through a lot of old magazines lots of old websites did lots of researching in terms of doing interviews um you know trying to read books about arcade games so it was tough in the way that it was a lot to go through to be like how am i gonna explain arcade games or the culture of arcade games to somebody who is reading this book who might not read anything else about them um it was a tough, it was a pretty tough task. But I mean, the amazing thing is that there's information out there. Like the fact that the internet exists means that I have access to all these amazing magazines without actually having to buy them individually. Um, mm. So that was one of those things, like I'm a big arcade fan, but even I didn't know as much as I learned throughout the book.
1: So, I mean, you mentioned the the great timing in 92. I mean, I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. That's one of the I mean, arguably the most iconic year in basketball history. If if you think of just on uh, like a worldwide basis, um, how much do you think the game, you you have great portions in the book where you talk about Shaq getting into the game and and selling that to his teammates and, and like the NBA Jam parties they would have. You have great portions yeah. about Glenn Rice, things like that. Um, do you have any perception as as far as how big it was in growing NBA basketball? I mean, of course, you already had like the Dream Team was out in 92 as well. Um, How much do you think NBA contributed to that kind of positive momentum that the NBA built?
3: I actually think it had a pretty significant impact in some small ways, like as in it's significant in the way that you might not see it immediately, but it kind of comes to fruition over time. Um, So what I mean by that is so I'm I'm the spitting image of this. Uh, so I was born in Texas, but I grew up in Pakistan. And while I was there in the 90s, that is where I experienced the NBA for the first time through NBA Jam. So I became this huge NBA fan all because of this crazy two on two arcade basketball game. And I'm certain the story's out there for other people like that as well, where like, you know, they saw the supersonics, or they saw the jazz or, you know, they like the dunks. They like the on fire. Something about it really caught their eye. And they said, OK. Let me investigate this. Who actually are these NBA teams? Who are these players? Um, but no, I think I, it definitely did have an impact on that. And you kind of learn about it more as you talk to people who are casual fans. Um, but, you know, there are people out there who liked playing NBA Jam who don't even like basketball. And that yeah. is just such a crazy thing to think about. You don't really find that often, like, oh, I'm a huge Madden fan, but I'll never actually watch football. Like, I can't imagine <laughs> right. there's a lot of overlap that, you know? Totally, totally. And it's I mean, you
1: mentioned this a lot in the book as well, but just the brilliance of you have, you know, three buttons that you press essentially or, or mess with. So I think even if you don't know the rules of basketball, if you've never seen basketball, like like you said, I mean you can go, you can jump right onto an arcade or Super Nintendo or whatever console you have and I mean, you know, you might be down by 10 points, but by that point in time, you've learned kind of what the objective is of basketball in general. And due to maybe some of the mechanisms in the game, you're able to catch up.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's so satisfying to play. I mean, that's one of the, the great things about NBA Jam is that it actually holds up. You know, I've gone mm-hmm. back and I've played things that I like, I was super psyched about when I was a kid. Like, I played Shaq Fu. Have you guys had the, uh, I would say the pleasure, have you guys had the <laughs> displeasure of playing Shaq Fu? Oh,
0: yeah. (laughs) Oh, man.
3: I was so disappointed. I remember I was such a huge Shaq fan and I was like, man, this is pretty cool. Shaq martial arts. And then you played for five minutes and like the jumps are way too large. Like they're jumping way too high or too (laughs) often. And like the fighting isn't very good. I'm like, man, this sucks. So what I did was I recently actually came back to it after all these years. I was like, maybe I was a stupid kid. Maybe I didn't know what was good for me. Maybe Shaq is actually pretty good. Um, and it wasn't very good at all. It was probably actually worse now that I thought about it. Um, but NBA Jam is the opposite of that, where you can come back to it all these years later and you can be a casual player and you can pick it up. And yeah, you play you play the game, you press those buttons and almost immediately you're doing something cool. Like you're hitting these amazing three pointers, these amazing dunks just out of nowhere.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a shame, too, because. Everybody loves Shaq. You want Shaq Fu to be great. You want Kazam, right. the movie, to be great. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Just, uh, those two things didn't work out anyway. Justin, yeah. you had a question? Definitely not. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, with Kazam, that's one of the things. It's funny you bring that up because I thought Kazam was an awesome movie when I was younger. You <laughs> Me it too. It's terrible. I'm like, what, is, what was I thinking? All right. What are you watching? <laughs> yeah. Right.
3: Do you guys it's remember uh, cool, Steel? Right. Yeah, Did you guys remember? Oh, Steel yeah. Oh yeah. Dude, <laughs> yeah. I was so psyched about Steel. It's like Shaq is a superhero and you know he has that Superman tattoo on his arm. That's this is true. perfect. This is yeah. great. And then yeah. you watch yeah. it and you're like, wow, this is really mediocre. <laughs> this is like right. they could have been literally anybody over here instead of Shaq. And he's you know, I'm not like saying like Shaq's ever gonna win an Oscar, but Shaq is probably a way better actor now than he was in like ninety eight or ninety nine or whenever that movie came out.
1: Yeah, it, it's one of those that seemed like it looked so good on paper but just
2: mm-hmm. uh nope <laughs> oh yeah that's true wow yeah um,
0: um also want to ask you with the kind of the, the newer generation now i mean they're just so stuck on 2k also i see on twitter it's just like okay all these players playing 2k um and it kind of remed- it kind of uh, mirrors what how the players um were reacting to the nba jam back in the 90s so do you think the the Generation of NBA superstars now respect NBA GM. What's your kind of opinion of kind of the the newer generation in 2020 um, realizing how NBA GM actually influenced basketball culture today? Or do you think they have no idea?
3: I think some of them do. I think there's kind of an age break someplace. Um, You know, I remember seeing a video that Seth Curry was in. This was probably like 2012, maybe. Um, And somebody was doing some kind of it was like I think it was Bleacher Report that was doing some sort of feature with him about like, oh, you know, dream NBA Jam teams or something involving NBA Jam. And Steph Curry said, yeah, I have it on my phone right now. And, of course, you know, <laughs> Steph Curry having that is such a great sign that shows that, you know, it's it's really is everywhere. Um, so I know that, you know, people are familiar with it at a certain, you know, I'm not sure what the certain age break is but I feel like probably Steph Curry or maybe like, you know, a few years later is the cutoff point for classic NBA jam or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is that, you know, whenever people still pick it up now, the thing is they still get into it. Um, you know, one of the things that I cut out from the book that, that I was really hoping to include was a story about meeting this, I think he was a seven-year-old kid, a seven-year-old kid I met at this arcade who played NBA jam for the first time. So this is a seven-year-old. I mean, keep in mind in 2000. 15 – no, it was 2017 when I met him that you know, he wasn't there for the arcade scene. He wasn't there for 90s NBA. He wasn't there for Midway, but he still loved the game. It was because it was so good. So I think there's a little population of the NBA that's familiar with it. Kenneth Freed is another one. Uh, I talked to him for the book. He makes a cameo at the very end. Um, I'm not sure everybody knows it, but I feel like if they knew about it, they would definitely at least give it a shot.
0: And you you brought up arcade gaming and I think for all of us we have a perspective on, you know, arcade gaming and console gaming and kind of doing a combination of both. Um just we're talking off air in terms of kind of old video game systems. I had a Genesis. Um, I kind of went that way with Sega, um, and also went to the arcade on occasion. But now arcades seem to be a relic. Um, can you kind of put in perspective how big were arcades because that's where you saw not only the better graphics, they, the games typically came out there first. They're typically the better versions of the game. So can you kind of put in perspective of you know having to go to an actual place to actually play these games as opposed to just you know playing them on your couch?
3: Yeah. I mean, arcades are such a totally different experience than home gaming. Like you were saying, the idea of having to get off your couch, you actually have to physically go someplace to stand there and play a game. That's just such a foreign concept right now, but it was something that was just such a big pull back then. I mean, yeah, like you're saying, that's where you get the the best games, the best graphics, the newest technology. You know, especially I would say around 93, 94, 95, 96, right around then, that's when arcades were at their peak technology-wise, where they're still ahead of the home consoles, but they you know but they were and they were still innovating but and the home consoles hadn't just caught up yet you know CDs hadn't come out and you know the bit wars were still kind of in their their final days over there um yeah i mean arcade culture is something that's so special um you know i grew up going to lots of arcades and i loved learning about all these arcade stories it's it's kind of hard to imagine how big they were Um, but I've got to figure somewhere in the book of like, at one point, this is like the early nineties. So relatively recent, like arcades made twice as much as console games did, which is crazy because console games were everywhere in the early nineties, but arcades were so big that they made even more money than them.
1: Yeah. And it's crazy to think like, you know, you mentioned the profit that NBA Jam was available or able to make in about 10 minutes time, you know, like like eight bucks or so every 10 minutes, Mm -hmm. you know, paying, uh, you know, 50 cents a half, um, I think is, is what you had um, on there. Um, You know, I, I wonder too, if it's just a little bit different with everything being at home, you know, the consumer now thinking maybe that's ridiculous to go and spend that much for one half of basketball, even when you've got these incredible home consoles now.
3: Yeah. But I see, you know, you look at DLC right now. DLC is still so big. You have to pay so much for these packs. You know, you know, mm. oh, you want to get a certain player of some kind, or, you know, you want a certain feature. I mean, I'm a big Mortal Kombat fan, and I've paid like, what was it, like 60 or 70 bucks for the main game, and then like 40 or 60 in DLC. So, you know, it's really interesting that whole idea of arcades where they're just sucking away your quarters. They've taken that and they've adapted that to a new world where you can do it with mobile games. You have those. Quick transactions, quick transactions yeah. with the DLC on console games. So that idea is still around. So it seems kind of seems kind of archaic and old, but then when you think about it, they're pretty much still doing it, just in a totally different format.
1: Yeah, it's just like they've they've kind of uh, reshaped it, repackaged it into something that makes sense for 2020. Totally. Um, Absolutely. So, do you have a, a favorite squad that you usually run on NBA Jam?
3: Oh, it's always got to be the Jazz. For me, the Jazz, like in the original NBA Jam, that is the squad for a lot of reasons. I mean, Malone and Stockton, that to me is the iconic NBA Jam do in my head. You know, you've got somebody who can nail the three, somebody who's got the big dunks. And it's such a cool visual of the two of them together. Um, but then going back to the actual historical importance of it, they were the, the first duo that the midway team saw and made them think that, hey, we actually should give these players stats. So it's yeah. Yeah. I mentioned this in the first chapter. Just so strange to think. But once upon a time, NBA Jam had players with no stats. So you'd see Karl Malone and John Stockton on the screen. They'd play the same way. They'd both dunk the same way. They both hit threes (laughs) the same way. And it's just such a bizarre concept. But somebody in an arcade pointed it out. They're like, keep the ball away from Stockton. He's going to steal it. And then somebody from Midway was watching and made and made them think like, Hey, we should probably do something about that. And then they went and they edited the stats to add that over there. So, I mean, the Utah jazz are really where so much NBA jam lore was born because those stats are something that people still remember. Um, But yeah, when it comes to the original game, it definitely got to be the jazz tournament edition. I loved Sean Kemp and Gary Payton on the supersonics. Definitely favorite for me.
1: Nice. Justin, were you usually running the bulls in that game?
3: Of course, always. Just as a Diamond always,
1: Bulls fan. Yeah, <laughs>
3: the oh, you got to do that, yeah. <laughs> Scott Pippen
1: and Horace Grant?
3: Yeah, yep, yep. Always. that's how yep. I
1: remember it. Yeah, it kind of yeah. made me a big Horace Grant fan, just the fact that right. he had those goggles on in-game, looked so cool it's true, all the bro. time. Yeah, for me, it was <laughs> usually uh, running like the Warriors, actually, uh, back then with like all the three-point shooting
3: that was on those Oh, teams. yeah. Yeah, the Run TMC era. Oh, that was so good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that was such a fun Warrior squad. Yeah. I was at a at a convention a few years ago, and I found this Tim Hardaway autograph, um, like, with the classic Golden State Warriors jersey, and I just geeked out. I was so excited. I've got it somewhere. It's sitting in a box, but, man, it was just the coolest thing. I just love that Run TMC era. They were a really fun team. Yeah, those are beautiful jerseys
1: back then, too. Yeah. Just that classic blue and gold, yeah.
3: absolutely yeah and of course you know people always associate the warriors at least they do now with steph curry draymond green you know the current era but that early 90s era was so cool too
0: that's true especially um you know when the warriors finally broke through and won the title and became the Warriors as we know today really you know that fan base has been through a lot of heartbreak i mean just everything that they had to kind of put up with uh really Mm -hmm. being underrated um it kind of came to fruition um You know, in the you know 2010s, so it's just bizarre just to see you know people just always hype up the Warriors and wear their jerseys because they were not even a team that was mentioned. Oh yeah. (laughs) Um, Oh yeah. Prior
3: decades. Yeah. Definitely, I think the the Kings are probably going to be like that someday. I don't know what path they'll take to get there, but in my head, I see like the Kings or the T Wolves. Somebody's going to be winning the championship, and like they're going to have some kind of up and down reign. But all those people will be bandwagoners and. Other people would be like, I remember when you know the Kings were Vlade Divac, or I remember Mitch right. Richmond. So yeah. yeah, that's that's one of those things that happens. But man, I love that early Golden, Golden State Warriors era. That was such a cool time. Yeah, man. Um, I hope
1: you're right because one of yeah. my first NBA games was in Arco Arena. I actually saw the Barkley Phoenix Suns play against those
3: Kings from back then. No way! I'll, I'll that's that's right. awesome. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Arco Arena. Wow.
1: So this is how young my buddy and I were that that I went to that game with Dustin. If you're listening somehow, I haven't kept in touch with him, but shout out. Um, (laughs) But this is how young we were. We were rooting for the Suns because we felt so bad that they flew all the way. To California to play <laughs> the games. like, oh man, they came all this way. They gotta win.
3: <laughs> that's awesome. I love the kid logic. I mean, yeah, I love right. the super <laughs> their logos. So yeah, there's all kinds of things that when you're a kid, you're like, that's the reason I'm gonna root for that team, or that's why I root against them. So that's awesome. And man. we were
1: Californians. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Just totally betraying it for them, but <laughs> totally.
1: Yeah. You know.
3: Um, I
0: also wanted to ask you – I heard a story on No Dunks, and I was wondering if you can elaborate on this because it just piqued my curiosity when you told this story about Gary Payton having a limited edition of NBA Jam with himself, Gary Payton, King Griffey Jr., and Michael Jordan in the game. And there's only like a select few of these around the world. And I'm just wondering, have you heard of like any kind of diehard video game collectors? I know these days you know, they're popular on YouTube and just – just seeing rare collectors just try to like beg gary payton um just to sell this this game away just because it's it's a rarity um, when you told this story i was just holy crap like how does this copy of this game even exist
3: It's amazing. And I mean, to think that after all these years, we still have this NBA Jam holy grail that nobody's touched. Like, nobody's seen it. Like, we're all grown up. Like, life has moved on. The Warriors went from, you know, run TMC Warriors to totally different Warriors today. And that NBA Jam machine still isn't out there. Um, But yeah, it's true. Um, So, what happened was it was right when NBA Jam came out. It was so big that even Michael Jordan wanted to be in the game, even though he wasn't actually in the game. Which is to say that because of licensing issues, he kept his image out of the game. But it was either Jordan or somebody in his camp, heard about NBA Jam, got really excited, asked Midway for an arcade cabinet for Michael. And the Midway guys who were based in Chicago were like, of course. So they made a special version with Michael Jordan's head in the game, probably as a secret character of some kind. And then the weird thing is, yeah, like you were saying, Gary Payton got involved, too because he wasn't actually in NBA Jam. Everybody thinks he was, but he never actually was. He was in NBA Jam Tournament Edition, but not in that first game. So he really wanted to be in that first game. So he got added, too, because he knew Michael, and there was a whole thing. And then the third one was Ken Griffey Jr., which was just like, wow, okay, Ken. you know, we got Michael Jordan, totally makes sense. Gary Payton, okay. Ken Griffey Jr., that just seems like, just, you know, pick a name out of a hat. Like, why not Bo Jackson, you know? Why not Arsenio Hall? You could pick anybody from the 90s. Um, but, yeah, Ken Griffey Jr. was a big NBA Jam fan, too. And he had his headshots taken from all the different angles to be put in the game. And then when the midway team got back those headshots, they actually said, these aren't very good. Can you do them again? So he went and he did them again. So that was how much he wanted to be an NBA Jam. He had his headshots taken twice. But, yeah, that machine's still out there. And as far as I know, there's only a couple places I know for sure. And one of them is Gary Payton's house in California. So I'm dying to know when, when
1: you unlock Ken Griffey Jr., and I don't know if you know this or, or not, is he a Seattle supersonic or is he just like an unlockable player that's just in the game?
3: Good question. <laughs> See, I, yeah, ooh, that is a good question. Honestly, I, I don't know myself because I've never seen that fabled version. Like I've seen pictures of Ken Griffey Jr. with his, uh, you know, him actually getting his photos taken for the game itself, but mm-hmm. not within the game. But I'm guessing he's probably some kind of unlockable character. So that way you can just put him on any team you want which is what you would do with all the other unlockable characters at the time. But that's a really good question. I would love to know the answer. Like, So if Ken Griffey Jr. is out there listening, he should probably deliver with that answer right now.
1: <laughs> for sure. Get out of this on Twitter.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Ken.
1: Yeah. That's, Um, I mean, going, going through this just reminds me that, you know, I mean, one of the, the cool things about this, I mean, I don't need to tell you obviously, but for the listeners, really pick up yeah. a copy of this book because I think another reason this game is so great is – there's just that, that lore behind it and that mystery. You never know what you're gonna see as an unlockable character. There's all these little secrets. There's all, you know, given the time that you couldn't just Google it and figure out what the Easter eggs were in the game. You know, there, people were spending lots of money to try and find out all these secrets. Um, I mean, the, the portion of the book where you talk about the tank mode in the game, uh, <laughs> where you're playing in in like army style tanks um, to unlock boosting of stats and everything, uh, just just fascinating. And I'm sure um, that outside of that, outside of maybe even what you were able to write about in the book, I mean, there's there's just got to be so many great rumors about the game and theories that fans of the game had. Um, were there any crazy theories that people had that you weren't able able to get into the book? Were there any other theories out there that, that you had heard of?
3: So there's a couple of things that come to mind, not necessarily theories, but more like bad tips I got. Like somebody said, oh, mm-hmm. chase down this lead or look look this up, and it wasn't actually anything. So one of them was that Mark Trammell, the main creator of NBA Jam, so essentially the creative NBA Jam, the lead programmer – There was a rumor that somebody told me that at one time in the early 90s, he had a giant NBA Jam logo at the bottom of his swimming pool. And I was like, wow, what an amazing visual. I hope that's true. I want to put that in the book. That'd be great.
2: And Please then I asked true. somebody
3: else, yeah, turns out I don't even think he had a pool. So <laughs> <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> not true, not true, but it was a really cool idea. Um, and then actually I'm pretty sure it was the same source that told me this one as well. I should probably double check their quotes now that I'm talking about him, um, but he's a good dude. <laughs> he, uh, he also told me that uh, he heard that – so the Beastie Boys, they appeared as secret characters in I think it was Jam Tournament Edition, one of the home games. Uh, but you know back then it was a Wild West in terms of licensing. Like what they would do is they'd take people and just put them in the game without actually paying them for it or clearing it with them in the first place. So that's how Will Smith got in the game and George Clinton and DJ Jazzy Jeff. None of these guys got paid. There was no authorization. Um, But, yeah, you know, they were thinking of other people um, like, you know, the Beastie Boys who did end up making it in the game. And the Beastie Boys sued a claim. This is the rumor. They sued a claim (laughs) because they were in the game. Uh, Yeah, and they hadn't given their likenesses up. I believe that's false from what I've investigated, as and in I couldn't mm. find anything to corroborate it, but it was a pretty cool idea. And then the last one is some secret characters that were in very early versions or they're thinking about that never actually came to fruition. One of them was Ted Nugent. So Ted Nugent was a secret <laughs> character once upon a time, very briefly. And the other one was uh, Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. That would have been really cool. I mean, that would have oh, been yeah. awesome. And I feel like. People would still be talking about Flea and NBA Jam if that had come to fruition, but there's, like, one article out there somewhere that references Flea being an NBA Jam, but besides that, nothing really came of it. But it was so cool to, like, at least see that little artifact that, wow, this was one, once upon a time, almost a thing. That's so cool. I mean, there there's just so much history,
1: so many tidbits with this game. It's, it's incredible. Um, so another thing I wanted to ask about was, selfishly, my – Well, first off, I want to know what is your favorite iteration of of all these NBA jams that are out there? Do you have a a favorite version or a slight variation of these games? Because we know there's like NBA Showtime and and others that went by different names. What's your personal favorite to go back to? Are you just down for the the classic or tournament edition? Or is there a newer one that's this kind of perfected in your mind?
3: Oh, that's a good question. So from a historical perspective, I really love Tournament Edition because it's got all the good stuff from NBA Jam, but it's even better and it's got more stuff in there. And I really love like the look and the vibe of Tournament Edition where it's like NBA Jam 1, but a little bit better. Um, but from a play perspective, I really love NBA Hangtime. The one that they released just after NBA Jam Tournament Edition and I think Yes. That. I'm yeah. so glad you said that. <laughs> oh, I love me some hang time, so good. And Matthew Perry's a secret character, Chandler from Friends, just oh, wow. just like, really, yeah, How did he get in there? Yeah. And My yeah, he was reached out to that. Midway for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it was like what? I had no idea about this either when I was like researching the book. I was like, Matthew Perry, that sounds like like a you know another one of these hoaxes you read about, like another one of these fake codes, like oh Al Pacino's an NBA jam and so is Santa Claus and Charles Manson, you know. But I'm like <laughs> I don't know about them. But yeah, yeah. it's so cool. Um. So, no, so there wait, was. So, so, Matt Perry was in tournament edition or he was in hangtime? He's in hangtime. He's in hangtime. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Hop awesome. on YouTube, look up Matthew Perry, NBA hangtime. And, you know, from what I understand, that he also, like Kim Griffey Jr., sent in his headshots to Midway. So, he was a huge fan of NBA Jam right when his career was, I would say, at its peak. Nice. It's about time Chandler yeah. gets a little redemption. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I wish they had like all the Friends people in there. That would have like added another oh, totally. level. Like, you know, well, you can mix and match them. you could know, do Phoebe and Chandler in one versus, you know, Rachel and Ross. Oh, my gosh. Get Gunther in there. You could do so much. Oh, that
0: is my girlfriend's favorite show. She'd be the biggest fan of that game. <laughs> if that was awesome. the truth. She'd be playing 24-7. Can...
3: You definitely got to pull up the YouTube video to be like, check this okay. out and be like, right. And have her be like, why is, why is Matthew Perry in this basketball game from 996? And then be like, he wanted to be in it. Yeah. So it's, yeah. The history just keeps going and going. And that's just so fun. I mean, I wrote this book. I spent all these years talking about it and I legitimately still am learning new things all the time. So since you bring up
1: hang time and, and selfishly, that is my favorite version of this game as well. I mean, that's the one I easily logged the most hours on. Um, can you go into the development of that game a little bit? And I know you you had mentioned in the book that uh, it didn't get marketed as well, necessarily. There's kind of a generic basketball player on the cover, not um, a, an actual NBA player. Can you go into the history on that game a little bit, just selfishly for myself?
3: <laughs> no, no, no. By all means. Yeah. So NBA Hangtime was Midway's first basketball game after NBA Jam Tournament Edition. So this really interesting division happened in 995 where Midway and Acclaim – so Midway putting out the arcade games and Acclaim putting out the home games – decided to go their own separate ways. And then Acclaim went on to make NBA Jam Extreme, this really awful early 3D NBA (laughs) Jam. Juwan Howard did motion capture for the game. I'm not sure if I mentioned that in the book, but like, yeah, I also learned about Juwan Howard Mm -hmm. doing motion capture for it. I was like, okay, this is a thing too. Um, but yeah, so Acclaim over there had this awful game, NBA Jam Extreme. Meanwhile, Midway really kept, you know, they kept the basics. Like, they could have gone in the three direction, but still kept it kind of 2D with NBA hang time. Um, so yeah, that time they weren't really paying too much attention to what Acclaim was doing. You know, they knew that that Acclaim had the NBA Jam license, but they really wanted to focus on what they were up to. Um, you know, by that point, they were really riding high off of NBA Jam. It was such a big hit. I think that... They were probably a little disappointed by the fact that Hangtime wasn't NBA Jam levels of huge. But, you know, mm. there's no way you can reach NBA Jam. NBA Jam is one of those <laughs> that comes by once in a lifetime, you know? Like, they won't make NBA Jam. Like, if you release NBA Jam tomorrow, you put all the marketing money in the world, nothing is going to replicate that. Nothing. You can't right. buy that kind of hype. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Hangtime, what else do I know about Hangtime off the top of my head? Um, I would say that with, with Hangtime, they definitely were, uh, were thinking about how they can refine the game. So, you know, NBA Jam was the basic ideas that they were putting down. Hangtime was where they get into the alley-oops, where they're really trying to say, okay, what can we do to try to make this two-on-two thing more interesting? Um, so, yeah, when I think about hangtime, I always think about those great graphics. I mean, that was when they introduced the uh, Canadian teams, and I was so excited mm. about that. I was like, oh, yeah, we've got the Raptors and the Grizzlies in here now. Let's go. <laughs> yep. um, yeah, yeah, it's such a fun game. Um, what else about, about hangtime? It I think just it was an the, interesting time for the company, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that was the first time you could create your own player, right?
3: Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, sure. that was when they introduced it. Yeah, and they were thinking about introducing it in NBA Jam, but that wasn't feasible. There was a whole bunch of ideas they had on the table for the actual original NBA Jam that never materialized. Like once upon a time, they were thinking about making NBA Jam one-on-one, which would have been weird. It wouldn't have been the same at all. Glad they didn't do that, but, you know, they had like a coach's mode. I don't exactly know what that was going to all entail, but there was some kind of coach's mode involved. They had these cutaway angles for dunks. They had all these different ideas. Um, and, of course, through the process, it all gets whittled down. But, yeah, that, that creative player, that was such a cool feature. You can make that, that cool little alien. I always like the alien. Yeah, yeah,
1: I was uh, the Wolf Man
3: for a good. Oh, that's God, awesome! My creative yes. player
1: or Teen Wolf yes.
3: maybe. Oh, that's Teen Wolf! Oh my gosh, that would have been a killer secret character. <laughs> oh my goodness! Wow, wow. now I'm disappointed that's not an NBA Jam. See, like potential there. Man, so much potential, so much potential. Yeah, it, it kind what? of
1: it feels good as a reader when you get to that portion in the book and you hear about NBA hang time and acclaims NBA Jam Extreme. I mean, I don't, I don't want to spoil things too much, but uh, for me as the reader anyway, and as someone who who enjoyed a lot of these games, I mean, especially NBA Jam and tournament and hang time, um, it felt good to me to see Midway kind of come through with that and continue yeah. with their success. I mean, it, of course, it's it gets to be a roller coaster and um, and all that element too. I mean, even, even outside of NBA jam itself, it's really interesting to hear the constant stress and pressure that these game developers are under. And we know that game developers still to this day seem to be uh, that way, even though their teams are are much bigger um, than they are as the, uh, I think you said it was a seven person team on NBA mm-hmm. jam, right?
3: Yeah. It's it seems just, just seven so improbable. Yeah, no. And it's, That's one of those things – that's another one of those things that really represents just how of a different time NBA Jam was. The idea that you could have this huge – you know, this marquee game that gets ported to every console under the sun, that makes a billion dollars, that has this big license, literally just seven people putting it together. I mean aside from the hardware people and the executives and things like that, the testers, just seven people. So it was such a different time. But yeah, they were definitely – they were worked really hard. They were definitely run ragged uh, through the making of NBA Jam and a lot of those classic games. And, you know, as a fan, that was one of those things that was a little hard to read or learn about because you've got that thing where, you know, where you put that thing that you love and this kind of, you know, you put in like this Amber in your head where it's like, Oh, it's so perfect. Yeah. Like, I love it so much. It represents all these positive, amazing memories for me. And then you also learned that somebody had to basically just, you know, live in the office to get it finished. That was eye opening. <laughs> but that's the reality of the game business. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: Well, thank you very much for joining us. Did you want to go ahead and push um, any other projects you're working on? Um, Just push where we can find the book, where um, listeners can go check it out.
3: Yeah, just uh, Google NBA Jam the book. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it on bossfightbooks.com, on the publisher's website. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram, at NBA Jam Book. Always posting lots of old video game goodness. So if, yes, especially if you lot lot love like 90s arcade stuff, yes. yes. If you're in a 90s video games, 90s arcade, 90s Capcom, 90s Midway, um, and, and some 90s NBA, definitely the spot to hang out. Um, but yeah, as far as other things that I've got going on, uh, I was just talking to somebody else about this. They were asking me about you know what I would want to do next or another video game book. And, I man, I would really love to do a Mortal Kombat book someday. Nice. I would just still do that. I mean I've already got all the contacts. I know the history off the top of my head. There's so much that would go into that. Now, keep in mind that isn't actually happening next. That's just my dream, my dream project. But I am working on a second book that's going to be totally different from NBA Jam. Probably won't come out for a while. Um, it's still very early. Um, but, yeah, it was super awesome to finally get this out after four years. So I'm like, all right, just really try to think hard what's the next move going to be um so it's kind of i'm half enjoying it and half thinking ahead so still a lot more to come so i awesome. can't imagine well,
1: anyone better to write that book i mean with all the digging that you've already done through midway and their staff and yeah. everything I'll, I'll look forward to that someday
3: <laughs> i appreciate Agreed. that i hopefully yeah hopefully in this lifetime you'll see an, a mortal Kombat book out there i've even got the title worked out i've got an outline there and everything it's mostly oh, in my wow. head but i've got it out there nice awesome
0: uh, thank you very much for um, joining the show. Uh, stay safe, and we look forward, um, if that uh, Mortal Kombat book uh, ever comes out, we'll be the first in, in line. Definitely uh, looking forward to reading that next.
3: I love it. Thank you guys so much for the support and for having me on and for the great questions. I appreciate it. Yeah, Thanks, Trey. good to talk to you. All right. Pleasure talking to you guys.